Amen. Lord, our cold soul does cry out to you this morning, as it does every morning, Lord, we who love you. Lord, you're the reason we live. Matter of fact, when we accepted you, you gave us a reason to live, that other people might be saved and enter the kingdom of heaven by the testimony of what you did in our lives. So, Lord, today, we want the world to know you. From this little pulpit here in, in Lantana, Florida, Lord, we want the world to know you. So send this message out around the world, Lord, to everyone, not just from this church, but every church that's preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came, that he died, that he was buried, and that he is risen the third day according to what the scriptures say and seen by all the apostles and the ladies and even 500 people at one time. Why did they all die for you? Because they know that you are the Lord and there is no other. As Rahab said, the God of Israel is God. And we happen to know the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Because we know him, we know the God of Israel. Because he is the radiance of your glory, Father. He's the exact representation of your nature, Father. And Jesus upholds all things by the word of your power in the Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, today we want to feel your Holy Spirit as we prayed earlier. We want to hear what he says to us. We don't want it to go in one ear and out the other. We want it to stay within our hearts and applied to our lives. What, is what good is instruction without the application? We're just going to continue in the frustration that we're living in now. But if we apply what the Word of God teaches, Lord God, we will be satisfied. And we will be no longer hungry or thirsty because the rivers of living water are flowing through our soul and through our heart and through this being that we are. Lord, to you be the glory for today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, amen. church. You may be seated, all of you. We're going to have communion. I mentioned online, it's those of you that are just coming on because of YouTube and all these other podcasts and all that, you're watching Freedom Church in the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here. Check our website out, freedomchurchpb.org. Find out all about us. It's all about Jesus here. Some people walked in this place years ago, and they're still part of this place, but they moved out of state. They came in here one day and said, tell me in one sentence what Freedom Church is about. And I said this, it's all about Jesus. That's it. It's all about him. So that's what this is all about, Jesus. Amen. So anyway. For those of you, we're going to do communion first, so I would like you, I would like to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, just a few verses before we get into our study. So get your Bible out. You can turn to our study, Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to start at the 11th verse after I review a little bit. But communion, I want to read about it here. The Lord's Supper, I'm reading from the New American Standard. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered. This is Paul talking. That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this drink, this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we should be proclaiming the Lord's death at breakfast, lunch, dinner, and even your snacks. Hey, the Lord did that on purpose so that we would be consumed with him because that's what it's about. The bread, of course, was representative of... Ma Ma um, Brian, you can pass out the elements. Um, the bread, of course, represents the broken body of Christ. It's striped. And, of course, you know Jesus took stripes on his back because he was whipped by the Roman soldiers. And people say he got 39 lashes. I'm going to tell you something. This is Roman punishment. He didn't have to give 39 lashes. He could have gave 139 lashes. This is Rome is in control, not the Jews. So we think 39 lashes, you know, even that's enough. It's enough to kill somebody. And that was the intent of the lector. He was to try to kill them before he got the crucifixion. But by the stripes of Jesus, we are heroes. Those were their stripes on his back. You are healed. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us that by the stripes, we are healed. And then we come up to the New Testament with 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. I'm sorry, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It says, by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. So from the time Jesus was crucified till, the, till now, you know, we're healed by his stripes. You've got to claim it. You've got to claim that you're healed by a stripe. Healing is for the whole man, by the way. That word translates over into salvation, healing, and, and a bunch of other words. And uh, we're talking about the bread being, you know, the broken body of Christ, healing your spirit, healing your soul, healing your body. It's physical healing. It's spiritual healing. It's emotional healing. And you know what? Some people today say that by the stripes we aren't healed. And I don't know why they do that because, because the scriptures in the Old Testament in 750 B.C. and even now 2000, you know, A.D., where we know that, that um, it gives us hope. You take away healing that if you have a, some kind of disease, if you have some kind of disease and you take away the aspect of healing, what hope do you have? In Christ, there is all hope. Faith, hope, and love, for these things are the greatest of all things. Hope is going to be there till the end. So if you're sick and don't feel well, have the hope that by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Okay, healing is for the body, the broken from the broken body of Christ. You know, in every church, communion is served just about. Every church. Some do it every day. Some do it twice a day. Some do it every week. Some do it every month. Some may be even longer than that. Where communion is served, the wine is for the atonement of your sins. And atonement, I said a very quick dictionary definition of atonement is at one, at one meant, at one with God. Because you've been atoned for through the blood of Christ. Okay? The wine it has provision for your soul. The bread is healing for your body. Do you believe this? Well, then you claim it because you ask and you will receive. You seek and you will find. You knock and the door will be opened. So let's do it today. You know what? If you don't have the faith, if you sit there and say, well, you know, I'm the, I the Lord doesn't have the power to heal me. Here's what Paul said if he wrote Hebrews. Here's what he said. The same gospel that was preached to them was preached to us also only it did not prosper them 
because they did not mix it with faith. You have to have faith. Faith. So you have to believe. And that's the whole thing Jesus said. He said, if you say to this mountain, be taken up, cast in the sea, and you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe that what you prayed will happen, then God will grant it. So you tell that cold, that whatever problem you have, to go in Jesus' name. He didn't say ask God to take it away. You have the authority to take it away. I know this is teaching above some of the things that some of us may have, have learned, but he's already done it. He's already done it. So this morning, as we, we take from the bread, remember what Jesus says. We remember this, Lord Jesus, here, that by his stripes, we are healed physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Let's partake together. And, of course, as we already proclaimed, you know, this cup, as of a new covenant in Jesus' blood. He said, do this as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. 24-7, 365, all the days of your life, remember what Jesus did. Let's partake together. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for, for your stripes that bring healing to our body. Thank you for your blood that bring a, atonement for our soul and make us one with you. You said if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away and all things become new. Make us new today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Um, before we go on, I wanted to just review Matthew chapter Three, the first ten, first ten verses. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but I think it's important. This is an important chapter, as all chapters are important. But you know, we're studying in in uh, Matthew, so we're on the third chapter. So remember John three. I'm not going to read. I'll read the verse for you. John three and verse two. John the Baptist is on the scene, and he preaches, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand." Repent. This is what John came on the scene saying. That's the same I mentioned to you. It's the same thing when Isaiah came on the scene, when Ezekiel came on the scene, when Jonah came on the scene. You know, when all the prophets came on the scene, their, scene, their message was repent. When Jesus came on the scene, his first message, repent. Whenever Peter preached at, at Pentecost, repent. You know, and as, as the scriptures go on, you know, it's repent, repent, repent. The disciples, they, they preach repentance. Repentance means forsaking, turning away from, turning, about, uh, turning around. I call it an about face. It's forsaking sin. That's what John is telling the, the, the people in Israel from Jerusalem and Judea. And we learned last week that even the Sadducees and the Pharisees were there. Verse 3 you know, identifies John as the forerunner, the messenger. You know, the Bible, the, in the last book of the Bible, Ma, uh, Malachi, or Malachi if you're Italian, um, you know, 3.1 says that the king is coming. You know, a messenger is going to be sent out first. In chapter 4, you know, uh, it's, the next chapter tells us the messenger is going to be coming. So let me read them to you real quick so we can, we can uh, know it. 
in verse chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament where there was a separation of 400 years. The first verse of the third chapter, Behold, I am going to send my messenger who will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly be in his temple. Will suddenly come into his temple. So, here's this is the forerunner. Back in, and I mentioned last week, back in, in, in those days, they didn't have radio, TV, and everything else, and Facebook, and podcasts, and all those things. So what the king did, when he wanted to go visit a city, he sent out a forerunner. And that's what God is doing, sending out a forerunner. And that forerunner is saying, the king is coming, the king is coming. Heaven is on earth. Repent, for the kingdom of uh, heaven is here. Why is the kingdom of heaven on earth when John the Baptist is here? Because the king's here. And where the king is, is the kingdom. So the king is on earth at this time. Chapter 4 of Malachi, the last chapter of the Bible, the second to the last verse, God wants you to know, before before he comes, he's going to send out a messenger. It's very clear. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, says the same thing. You know, a messenger is going to be calling out in the wilderness. The king is coming. The king is coming. So here's Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, second to the last verse of the Bible, behold, of the Old Testament, behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. What's the great day of the Lord? The great day of the Lord is the day you got saved because he came to redeem you from your sins. That's the great day. And the terrible day is the last days, the days of the Lord. Uh, the, I mentioned last week, the day of the Lord is not one day. It is a period of time. So from now on, we're in that period of time. The king has already come, and we are waiting for him to come again. So, verse 6, the people were being baptized by John, Okay in the Jordan River. It was a reminder that Israel, when they came out of the desert, they had to cross the Jordan River and to get to the promised land, and baptism in the Jordan was therefore a reminder to them that to enter the kingdom of heaven, they have to be baptized. God's promised land, they have to enter God's promised land through you know, baptism being part of it. They must be baptized for repentance. To enter the kingdom of God. Faith, I mentioned, is through repentance. There is no faith without repentance. You can say you have faith in Jesus, but if you didn't repent, your sins aren't forgiven. You gotta believe, you gotta repent. You got it's important. There is no other way except through fa- except through faith, except through repentance. That means you're agreeing with God. You are a sinner. You're agreeing with God that someone needs to pay for your sin. And you, you are saying, I need a Savior. And here John the Baptist is proclaiming, he's here now. The kingdom of heaven is here. The king is here. But whenever the scribes and the, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees showed up, John the Baptist is very bold, just like Jesus, just like Peter at Pentecost. Just like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jonah, they were very bold. He, here's what he tells them. This guy in the wilderness, dressed in camel hair and a leather belt, and eats locusts and honey for his food. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to turn from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruits of righteousness. They weren't righteous. They thought they were righteous. They dressed in holy garb. 
and they thought they were holy by the way they speak, but their hearts were far from him. He was saying to them, who do you think you are? Next verse. Don't say because you're children of Abraham, because God can raise children of Abraham from these stones over here. See, here's John the Baptist. This man has faith. God can raise children of Abraham from stones. I want to tell you something. In a way, he, I know, he has already done it. Because you Gentiles, like myself, you had a hard stone heart. And he turned it to pliable flesh where you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did turn stones to children of Abraham. And that makes you a child of Abraham. You're not a child of Abraham through your blood, the bloodline of Abraham. You are a child of Abraham through the faith line of Abraham. And Abraham was justified by what? Faith. That makes you a child of Abraham. So God did raise children of Abraham from the stones. And then he'd even to drive this home with the scribes and Sadducees. Here's what he said. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree. You're coming down unless you, you know, bring fruits of righteousness. You're coming down. How do you kill something? You, you start it with the root. You have a weed, you pull it out by the roots. He said, I'm going to take you down if you don't believe and repent that the Messiah is here. That's what he's saying. This is a strong message, you know, that he had. That's why Jesus said, he, you know, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets, and Jesus said he was the greatest of them all because he was the messenger that said the king is coming. And even today, you know, we look to John the Baptist, a very righteous man, didn't live long because he was beheaded for his faith. There's no other way to faith except through repentance, I told you last week. You've got to be confronted with your sin, and that may have been happening right now over the Internet. You may be confronting with your sin, and that's a good thing because the Holy Spirit reproves you concerning sin and concerning righteousness and concerning judgment, says John 16. Then you have to have that revelation that day. You, you realize Jesus Christ is the Lord. It's a revelatory knowledge. And that's the next point. Knowledge, revelatory knowledge. Well, John or Peter had revelatory knowledge. Jesus said to Peter, he says, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He was, it was revealed to him who Jesus is. And he's acknowledging it. He's acknowledging it. And then you have to have the confession that you're a sinner. You need to be changed. If you confess your sins, says John, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. So everybody in the world, 7.5, I heard even 8 billion people on the face of the earth, they need to confess their sins and repent. There's nobody else that can take away their sins. Because there's nobody else righteous. So mankind needs a Savior. And if you don't have the Savior to save you from your sins, he'll become your judge. Which are you? Which are you over the Internet? Are you, is he your Savior or is he your judge? Repentance is not an emotional response. Many people in churches and even at crusades, they raise their hand. It's not an emotional response. It is a conscious decision. A conscious decision. 
You know, Jesus said, if any of you want to go build a tower, don't you first weigh the cost? That's what a conscious decision is. Hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. My mother and dad might forsake me. My wife might leave me. My spouse might leave me. Uh, my children might reject me. I'm going to get thrown out of this church and I have to find another church. You know, you weigh all these things and you decide, well, that revelatory knowledge that you received is true. Jesus is the Lord. I believe and I'm going to make a conscious decision to follow him. Repentance precedes your entrance into the kingdom of God. That's what these 10 verses really are telling us. Repentance precedes your entrance into the kingdom of God. So if you didn't repent, you think you're a great person, and you might be by worldly standards, but not by God's standards. You know, you're weighing yourself against the wrong. You're comparing yourself against the wrong person. Compare yourself to God, and you'll be consumed if you aren't righteous. If you compare yourself to your neighbor, you might look pretty good. You know how many times I spend up here and I pray and I say, Lord, why would you put me in a pulpit? I said, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. He says, who else am I going to use? You're all sinners. Who else is he going to use? He could only use one person to bring down and, and make the penalty for sin. That was his son, Jesus Christ. That was himself clothed in flesh because a body was prepared for him. Hebrews 10.5. Let's move on. I'll move on to Matthew chapter 11. That was just the review. And we spent an hour, 10 minutes on that last week at least. So from the 11th verse, I want to read from here. As for me, this is John the Baptist talking now. I baptize you with water for repentance. Water for what? Repentance. Baptism in the water in water is not, is not for anything but repentance. You aren't saved because you were baptized in water. You're saved because you repented and you believe. I baptize you with water for repentance, and he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And the, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear out his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into barns, but he will burn up the chaff and, with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. I'm a sinner. John the Baptist admitting he's a sinner. And you come to me? But Jesus answered to him, Permit this for this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and, come, and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I named the title of this message, The Trinity Speaks. And for the last verses here, you can see that all three, uh, three persons of the Trinity are present and active, fulfilling their role. 
fast for he, this is John the Baptist, and I baptize you with water for repentance. Notice, and I said it earlier, water baptism is just a symbol that you have repented. It's a symbol. It's an exterior confession of an interior change of heart. It's an exterior confession of an interior change of heart. It's an acknowledgement that you're following Jesus. It's an acknowledgement of that. You're saying, I confess my sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, my sins. He's saying, if you confess your sins, I'll forgive them. And if you confess, he will. He promises you that. You know, if you don't know God as your Savior in Christ, if God answers your prayers out of sheer mercy and grace, but if you repent, he will always hear the prayer of repentance. Always. Believe me, I was a heathen for a long time, 27 years to be exact. And I prayed many times, and God answered me many times out of mercy because he certainly didn't owe me anything. He says, this is John, he says, he who comes after me is mightier than I. What he's saying here is he must increase and I must decrease. It's directing attention to Jesus and our lives since we became believers in Christ. We're to direct our, the attention to Jesus. You know, he's the reason why you, why you even live to this day. You recognize that, that he's the king of the kingdom of heaven. He must be, you know, mightier than I. You know, you're saying, you are mightier than I. There's a lot of people in the Bible that recognize that Jesus was mightier than I. Let me, let me show you a few. How about that centurion that came up to him and said, I'm not worthy for you to, to even come under my roof. You just say the word and my soul, my servant will be healed. Listen, he got confronted and he's there. He recognized that Jesus was somebody special. You're so special, you, can't even, you shouldn't even enter my house. It's unclean. It's unholy. You know, but if you just say a word, one word, my servant will be healed. And notice it wasn't for himself. It was for not his family either. It was for his servant. This guy has compassion. He has a heart. How about that centurion at the cross? who saw the thunder, the lightning, the earthquake. He saw the way Jesus spoke. Father, forgive them, the, you know, for they know not what they do. He might have heard that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And what did he say? He must have saw hundreds of people. He was a centurion, over a hundred men of, a Roman, of the Roman army. He probably, he probably was in charge of crucifixion. He probably seen hundreds of crucifixions in charge of it. And what did he say when Jesus died? Surely this man must be the Son of God. Surely this man is the Son of God. He's looking at the sign above Jesus' head. It says in three languages, King of the Jews. Not he said he was King of the Jews like the Jews wanted. King of the Jews. He is the King of the Jews. And that's Matthew's gospel. He presents Jesus to us as the King. And how about, how about another guy? How about this guy, Thomas, one of the disciples? When, when Jesus appeared to him on the evening of the resurrection, uh, repaired to the disciples on the evening of the resurrection, 
Okay, Thomas wasn't there. So eight days later, which puts it one week, exactly it's Sunday again. It's a week after Resurrection Sunday. Thomas is in the room. Jesus appears with all the doors locked and barred down. Jesus appears and goes up to, to, to Thomas and says, Thomas, put your finger into my wounds and see if I'm not flesh and blood. Flesh and bone, I'm sorry, he said. And Thomas, what did he do? He was shocked. He soon recognized this was the Son of God, just like the Roman centurions I told you about. And Thomas, what did he do? He says, he, he didn't, I don't believe he even stuck his finger in Jesus' hand. He just probably fell on his knees or on his face and cried out, My Lord and my God. He was, he, you know what, you need to be confronted with that. I was confronted with that 44 years ago, a week ago today. 44 years. Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit whizzed through me and, and said, Jesus is the Son of God. I was, I was like, it was a revelatory knowledge that came to me. We sometimes need that so we can recognize that. We can remember now 44, 5, 50, 60 years later, 80 years later, you can remember that time you'll never forget. Baptism speaks of being of death and burial. He was baptizing in the Jordan River to speak to your death, burying the old man, rising up a new man. It's a symbol of repentance, because there's no other way to salvation except through repentance and faith. It also speaks of saturation. In John 20, 21, Resurrection Sunday evening, I just remembered that he appeared to the disciples with Thomas absent, and he breathed on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. That's saying they were born again right there. If they weren't born again prior, they were born again right there. They, the Holy Spirit entered into them. They recognized that, but you got to recognize they weren't saturated with this whole with the Holy Spirit. They weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit like John said that Jesus is going to do. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. They weren't saturated. The Holy Spirit was in them. The Greek preposition is en. It stands for in. He was in them, but they were powerless. They didn't do anything for fifty days. They hid. They were scared. They were were fearful. They thought for sure they were going to die and be crucified just like Jesus and the Jews were going to round them up and the Romans were going to throw them in prison. Forty days later, in the book of Luke, chapter 49, Jesus tells them, chapter 24, verse 49, he tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which will come upon you, the Greek preposition epi. You heard this from me before. It is so important that the Holy Spirit, that you be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Listen, John baptized with repentance. You know, my pastor, and when I got saved, he baptized me in water along with the elder that I knew that uh, led me to Christ. I don't look to him as anything special. But when I was baptized in the Spirit, it was Jesus who baptized me. Jesus, he baptized me, and that is special. 
But he's telling them, okay, you, the Holy Spirit's in you, but, you know, I want you to go to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which I told you about, and he's going to come upon you. It's also backed up by another scripture, because you always hear me say, you interpret scripture by scripture. And here's another scripture, Acts 4, chapter 1, verse 5. He commanded them, he didn't ask them, he commanded them, okay, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water for repentance, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's 40 days out. That's at the ascension this is happening. It's 40 days out. He says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We know exactly the Pentecost is, is 50. Penta means five-sided or five. It's 50 days later now. So they waited 10 days. I thought they had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in them, but they were scared to death. They were powerless. They had no faith that would move mountains until Pentecost. And there comes the fire. There comes the fire. Here, I brought up this, this little uh, Mr. Clean thing. You know what? When you're baptized in water, you know, you're wet. You're wet. But when Jesus baptized, you are not only wet, you are saturated where you're dripping on all over the place. You're saturated with the Holy Spirit. You just can't stop speaking. Isn't that what the disciples said? Whenever they were thrown in prison, they were told, don't speak in this name ever again. They said, we can't stop speaking. They didn't care if you killed them, and they did. They all died a martyr's death. Probably even many of the 500 that were saw Jesus at one time. All but John died a martyr's death. But John, remember, I told you last week, he was boiled in oil. He should have been dead. He's like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the, in the fire. The Lord saved him from that, just like he saved them from the fire. And Daniel from the lion's den. Isn't this a great God that we have? No matter what position or what's happening in your life, God can change it. God can change Nothing's impossible for God, especially if you're saturated with the Holy Spirit. And that's what Holy Spirit, that's what Jesus does. He saturates you. He breathed on them. He was in them. The Holy Spirit was in them, but they didn't have that saturated power. And that's what we need today, not just in Freedom Church, but all the church around the world. We need saturated with the power of the Holy Spirit and the fire that goes with it. You know what? The Bi the f in the Bible, fire is spoken of as a gift. You believe that? You must. <laughs> Let's think about this. You have to ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit. You know, those people, the, the 120 in the upper room, they didn't really have to ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit. They believed. They saw him dead. They saw him crucified. They saw him risen. They saw him do miracles even after he was risen. You know, and they, they didn't need to ask. They wanted him. They wanted him badly. But today the church is in this complacency side. You know, we're in complacency, and we're ready to, we're ready to die if we don't, get up and get started and get fired up and those little embers that are just burning red glow need to be fanned to flames we got to be on fire for jesus we got to get back to where we were 
let me ask you all a question. You don't have to answer this, but do you have as much faith now as the day you were saved? I told you that many times. When I was first saved, I went up to blind people and prayed. I'm thinking, like, you're going to start seeing. You're going to see. I wouldn't do that today. I think I had more faith then than I do now. But that person didn't see. I don't know how to explain it. All I know is I'm challenging my faith today by messages like this. Jesus blew on them, and he was in them, and they were saved, and they're going to heaven, and some of you might be that way. You're fearful. You don't want to even mention the name of Jesus about somebody. And therefore, Paul tells us in, in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation. It's the power. Here's what Luke 11:13 says, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, Matthew says something different. You know, if you ask the Lord, the Lord for a stone, he won't give you a serpent. There's different takes on this. Don't forget, Jesus was preaching all the time, every day. Only like... What did I mention last week? Like 40 days of Jesus' life is recorded in the, script, in, the, in the Gospels. But he walked the earth for at least three and a half years. So there was a lot more done. John, you know, in his, la in his Gospel, with his last verse said, If everything was written about Jesus that could have been written, I suppose the whole world couldn't contain the volumes of it. And even today, volumes about the book. I know people that wrote books. I right now have a book in publishing. You know, because I got to tell people about Jesus. You know what? After I'm gone from this earth, maybe that book will still tell people about Jesus. Like the, the preachers of the past, like J. Vernon McGee and Billy Graham and all these people that are still preaching even though they're dead. Jonathan Edwards, all those guys. You must ask for the saturation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In order to grow, you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you'll grow a whole lot faster. They wanted the saturation in that upper room. They were ready to die for Jesus. Are you? I know I went on mission trips, and the police told us, don't you go to that area. They killed missionaries. They killed Christians. You know what we did? We went to that area anyhow. You know why? Because they are the ones that need Jesus the most. Our landlord said to me, I'm going to turn this place. He, you know, he bought this restaurant in the back. He said, I'm going to turn this place. There's going to be a lot of action around here. He said, a lot of sinners. I said, good, because they need to repent. <laughs> you know? He thought I was going to say something else. Oh, man, we're going to have to move. No. Why do you think God put us here? And he says, you know, they were his completely if you're saturated with the, with the Holy Spirit. His completely. I know when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit three months after I was saved, I'll tell you what, I was asked to receive the Holy Spirit. I said, yes, 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 I want all Jesus I can get. And that caused big problems in my family. My immediately family and my friends. Here's what John says. The winnowing fork is already... Let me read it from the Bible. Where are we at? Okay. In verse 12, 
and his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear out his fresh threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into barns, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The winnowing fork is a process of removing chaff uh, and separating it from the grain. It's also the removal of pests like bugs. The wheat here represents, of course, believers, those who repent, and they are saved. And the chaff is the unrepentant people. The lost, having no faith because they're unwilling to repent. And we need to repent. The chaff is empty of any value whatsoever. It's not worthy of anything but fire. You can start your fire with it. He will gather his wheat into the barns and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Fire speaks of many things. It speaks of judgment. Fire speaks of judgment, burning up of the chaff. Here's what Psalm 1-4 says. The wicked are like chaff, which the wind drives away. They're like chaff. You think, well, these wicked men like Hitler and all these guys that died, Stalin, that killed millions of people, they didn't get away with it, and they won't get away with it. It may look like they got away with it. They didn't get away with it. You know what? Hitler would have lived a lot longer if he just shut up. You know, Second Peter 3, 7, by his word, this present, these present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. God's going to judge the whole earth, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly men. What is an ungodly man? It's very simple. Those that don't receive Christ as Savior and have not repented of their sins. Unquenchable fire speaks of the eternal fires of hell, and I'm sorry if this is too deep for you. Jonathan Edwards, you know, the whole, the whole city, or over 50% of the city of Boston was saved by John, John um, what's his name? John, Jonathan Edwards. Sinners, his title was Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And he had this vision of like a spider hanging on a thread over a consuming fire. And that's the way the world is really today. And half of, half of Boston repented. Half of Boston was saved. I understand they're not so much anymore. I'm going back into the 1700s. You have to know about the fire to come that's going to judge mankind. What John is saying, you Sadducees, you Pharisees, and probably there were scribes there, he said, you're in danger of eternal punishment because you have no good fruit. No fruit. Your life should have fruit in it. You should be generous, kind, loving. That foul mouth can go. That, that adultery can go. That pornography can go. All these things that aren't pleasing to God, you've got to get rid of it. That's repentance. That's turning away, forsaking your sin. But it's your choice. Are you the wheat or are you the chaff? Are you for God or are you against God? Jesus said, he is for me. He is not for me. He is against me. It's that simple. Your old life can be changed. I don't know about you guys, but when I hit 27 years old, and I was a jerk. I, was, I, I have even a worse name than jerk. I thought, good. Praise God. I got a new start in life. I was born again. Therefore, the old things passed away. 
and the new things came up. The old man's gone, the new man's here. Therefore, if any man being Christ, he's a new creature, the old things are passed away, and all things become new. Fire also speaks of purity. It means dying to yourself. It means if anyone wants to come after Christ, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross, which is death, and follow him. Be willing to die. It's denying self. Purity, fire speaks of, of purity, dying to self, and cleansing of your motives. Many people want the power of God, but they don't want to change lifestyle. Remember that that uh, in, in the book of Acts, the man that, that um, he, was, he, he offered money for the Holy Spirit so that he could do what the apostles were doing, baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. He wanted that. He wanted to pay money for it. That guy's motives weren't right, and, and uh, the disciples picked it out, and they rebuked the evil spirit in him. Verse 13, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John and he and be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him saying, I have no need to be baptized by you and you come to me. Jesus, first of all, you have to know this, had no reason to repent. Okay? Jesus was sinless. Listen to this. You know this verse many times. I just repeated this verse about three times already. He who knew no sin became sin, that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There was no sin in him. As I prayed earlier, it came upon him at the cross. No sin was in Jesus. It came upon him. When he was nailed to that cross, you know, it, sin, your sin, my sin, the sins of all the world came upon Jesus. So the sin was on him. It wasn't in him. There's a difference. Sin is in us. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, says Jeremiah. That's why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For all of eternity. Remember, all of eternity Jesus was with his Father. And now, God turned his back on him because all that wretched, disgusting sin of the world, not just me, but all of us was on Jesus. Even First John, John tells us in First John 3, 5, there was no sin in him. Peter, in Second Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Then Peter again says, but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, we were redeemed. In John chapter 8, it says, who can, Jesus told me, who convicts me of sin? Could you say that? I know I couldn't. But Jesus said, okay, scribes and Pharisees, I'll challenge you. Who convicts me of sin? And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it because there was none. So that's proof that these words are true. Not to mention that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Even Hebrews tells us, he was tempted in all sin, all things, but without sin. Not some things, all things. He was without sin. And John's there like, I need to be baptized by you. You want me to baptize you? You're the king. You're the Messiah. 
here's five reasons why Jesus was baptized. Number one, the law required priestly consecration. The law required it. Jesus is now going to fulfill his office on earth as a priest. Remember, the priests were the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So how can he be a priest? Well, because he's from the order of Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? He was without sin, or he was without father, without mother. He always existed, says Hebrews, and so does Genesis. He was called the, the king of peace. You know, this was Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And what is he? He's the priest of heaven. So that's a higher priesthood. So Jesus is the only one that fulfilled all three offices on earth, the prophet, the priest, and the king. David was a prophet and a king. Samuel was a prophet and a priest. But nobody else in Scripture was a prophet, priest, and king. And that's Jesus. And the, the consecration for a priest was you put blood on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe. Well, why would they do that? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Number one, that you would hear the word of God, you would do the word of God, and you would walk in the ways of God. That's what the priestly con consecration was all about. Number two of the five reasons Jesus was baptized, or was, yeah, baptized, represented his identity with sinners. He was identifying with you and me. This shows his willingness to die for our sins, the willingness to bear, bear the penalty of our sins. Here's what Isaiah 53, 11 says, Part B, my servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Written 700 years plus before Christ was ever born. Jesus never calls anybody to do what he hasn't already done. You've got to be obedient to follow Jesus in baptism. I tell everybody, it's important. You're not saved by being baptized in water, but it's obedience. If you can't obey God in being fully immersed in, in water, how do you think you're going to follow him in anything else? It's just common sense. If you're not baptized, Christian, go to your church, put your name on a list to be baptized. We have a list in the back, at least we did. You know what? Somebody signed their name about several months ago, and then when we set up a date for them to be baptized, they never came in. Boy, the devil just tripped them up. He needs a you know, I'm not going to beg you to do it. I'm going to it's a, your willingness to do it. Um, number, number four, Jesus is giving his approval of John's baptism. Here's the Messiah approving the baptism for repentance. You must repent, John is saying. You know, John's baptism is for repentance. Jesus' baptism is for the saturation of the Holy Spirit to, from, from your toes to your fingertips to the top of your head. Every molecule, every quark, every atom that you're made out of. That's 
That's what it is. That's what saturation is. So you need to follow his orders and go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The fifth reason why Jesus was baptized, it typifies his baptism. Here's what Romans 6, 3 and 4 says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Your baptizing in the water is showing that you're buried. You died to yourself, and you're burying the old self. Imagine if you died as a living being, and you never got buried. You'd pretty stink pretty bad, you know what I mean? You need to get baptized and identify with Christ in the, in the grave that you no longer live. It's Christ who lives in you. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of, the, of God descending as a dove and coming upon them, upon him. And a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen, do you see the Trinity here? You see the Holy Trinity here. I already showed you the Holy Trinity in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let me just recap real quick. The Spirit, you know, in the beginning God created. There's God the Father. The Spirit of God hoovered over the face of the water. There's the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 said, Then God said, Let there be light. And who is who's the Word of God? Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right in the first three verses of the Bible. So you can't blow the Trinity away. And you can't say, well, oh, God created the name El because it's written in the plural sense. It's Elohim. In the beginning of time, God, Elohim, the plural version for God, created. And created is bara in the Hebrew, and it means from nothing. So God the Father, in the plural sense, you know, was, is in the first three verses of the Bible. So here we got, we got heaven's testing to, to Christ's baptism. In John 1.51, we see that the heavens were opened and the angels of God, he told Nathaniel, would be ascending and descending upon him. In Genesis 28, Jesus said that he is the ladder between heaven and earth. He alone bridges that gap. He told Jacob, you know, or when he, he, Jacob saw the, the, uh, the stairway to heaven, I guess you could say, the ladder to heaven, and at the top, you know, was the Son of Man standing there. And, it was, and he said, you know, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon that throne. Jesus is identifying himself as the ladder to heaven. By the way, there's only one ladder. Okay? Jesus is immersed. When Jesus is immersed, listen, the heavens are opened. The heavens are opened. Can you imagine the heavens being opened? And the heaven and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove. He is not a dove. He descends as a dove. Why, what does he descend with? Well, the, the dove is related to gentleness and peace. And here we have the, the Prince of Peace walking on the earth. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world. So Jesus here, and that with the Holy Spirit, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
He's immersed with the Holy Spirit. He's anointed for his priesthood by and in the Holy Spirit. At this point, listen, John the Baptist knows absolutely for sure that this Jesus is the Messiah. Acts 10.38 tells us God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good, healing how many people? All who were oppressed by the devil for the God, the Father that is, was with him. The point here is notice that Jesus casts out the devils by the Holy Spirit. You need the saturation of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that, that the baptism in the Holy Spirit should actually be a church ordinance? You know what? Church ordinances are seen in the Gospels. They're acted out in the book of Acts, and they are also written of in the epistles. Like baptism and like communion, that is a church mandate. Well, the whole being baptized in the Holy Spirit should be a church mandate because it is written in the Gospels, it is performed in the book of Acts, and it is also mentioned and done in the epistles. It is a church mandate, yet the church wants to bypass that mandate, and the devil laughs all the way to hell because you are powerless without the penetrate, without the saturation, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So here we see the Trinity. Now the heavens are opened up. A dove's descending on Jesus, you know, and God speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that's why I named this, this title. The Trinity is speaking. Jesus is present. The Spirit is descending upon him, anointing him. And the Father is verifying this is his son. And he's well pleased with his son. And his son didn't do much yet. He's only about 30 years old because that's when they started their ministries as priests. He had to be at least 30 and retire by 50. Okay? He's starting his priesthood, and here the Holy Spirit baptizes him in the Holy Spirit. And everything that Jesus, when he laid hands on a blind person, a leper person, he was acting like you and I. He was depending on the Holy Spirit to heal that person. And he knew it. He didn't lack faith. He is God. He didn't lack faith like we lack faith. The Trinity is seen. Here's the Father who administrated this whole plan of salvation. The devil's going to bruise, the seed of the woman's going to bruise your head, Satan, and uh, you are only going to bruise his heel. Here it is. It's being fulfilled. The Father had administrated it, and to save mankind, and here it comes. And there's the Son, the revelation of the Father. He's the revelation of the Father. You know how you identify God, the true, the one and the only God? He's identified by his Son. When Philip asked him, Jesus, if he could see the Father, Jesus said, Philip, I've been with you this long, and you don't recognize me. He was Father in all of his radiance, not with all of his radiance and glory, because he's the exact representation. He represents the Father on this earth. It's like you when I say, you know, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I saw my face. No, you didn't. You didn't see your face. You saw a reflection of your face, faith, of your faith. You saw a reflection of your faith. 
Jesus is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. So he came to pay the price for man. And of course, now the Holy Spirit is the operation in the world today. He's the operation in the world today. So we see all three of the Trinity here. The Son getting ready to do what he was meant to do from, from eternity past. We have the Holy Spirit anointing him with power in saturation, in baptism in the Spirit with power. And we see God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. And what does Isaiah 42 say? It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit, not in him, upon him, saturated. So you have a choice, and I'll end here. And I don't know where any of you over on the Internet are and where you're at in your Christian walk. I know one thing from the time you were born, you were trying to figure out what career am I going to choose, what high school am I going to graduate from, what career am I going to be, uh, how do I start my business, you take every, who am I going to marry, how many kids am I going to have, you have all these things, you even plan your funeral, but you don't make plans for your eternal life. Kind of silly, don't you think? We need to make plans for our eternal life, and I'm telling you right now, eternal life for us in, in repentance and believing in Jesus Christ and him alone. So you have a choice, eternal life with God or unquenchable fire. It's your choice. Thank God I chose fire. I look out over a church here and I see everybody that I know, and they know Jesus. Now you bypass the fire. That fire is just going to weigh your, your good works and see if it was for God or for you. And then the writer of Hebrews says this in 1029. Think about it. This is God that died on the cross. And you've got to think about that. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded unclean the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified and you have insulted the Spirit of grace? How much severe punishment? You need to, listen, everybody in the world that hears this message needs to get on their knees and accept Jesus Christ as the Lord right now and repent of their sins and walk away from here forsaking their sins and doing an about face. God goes on in the next verse and he says this, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Strong messages, but don't blame me for this message. I'm just preaching what God said. So if you don't know Christ, get up to this altar. If you need baptized or refreshed, a refining of a, a refreshment of the baptism of your Holy Spirit, get up to this altar. If you online need to receive Jesus, you just pray after me right now. Say, Father, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died for my sins. I receive him now as my Savior. I confess my sins before you. I ask that you send the Holy Spirit into my life and baptize me in his spirit afresh and anew, powerful, believing in your word. And then send me out to preach the gospel in my 
traveling realm. And may you receive glory and may sinners be saved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's pray. And I'll close and you guys will be okay to go home. Father, I thank you for your word. Beautiful words. Strong words, but beautiful words. And I thank God that I heeded that 42 years, 44 years ago. I praise you that you wouldn't let me go. You were the hound of heaven that just kept on telling me, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus saves. Thank you for keeping after me. Thank you for loving me so much. And I pray that everyone in this church and those over the air, Lord, will realize how much you love them. You love them so much that you sent your only begotten son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life by giving their life over and admitting you are their Savior who saved them from their sins, which they now repent of. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you all.